a quick game of winners and losers, just like we did after the draft. Who are the winners and losers on the Pacers roster from their free agency move so far? Jay Rigdon from Awful Announcing and I dig into all of it on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, the winners and losers from Pacers Free Agency, digging into all of it with Jay Rigdon from Awful Announcing, and of course, the caveat being, this is so far. We're 12 days-ish into free agency. Stuff could still change. There were moves made by the Pacers even later than this last year. The Donovan Mitchell trade happened like in September last year. Not saying they're done, but given what the Pacers have done so far, who on their team is standing better because of free agency or is in a better position, who's in a worse position, and for what reasons? We had actually had a lot of agreements with our lists, but we had one big one at the end that we very much disagreed on. I thought it was a very fun conversation. Let's just get right to it. We're two weeks into free agency. Stuff might not be done, but I want to take stock of the Pacers free agency by doing a project I did after the draft. The winners and the losers on the roster. Funnily enough, a big winner after the draft has become quite a big loser after the Pacers moves made in free agency. And joining me to do that, a man who understood the assignment and came with the same number of winners and losers as me, despite me not even saying so, it's Jay Rigdon from Awful Announcing. He's back for his bi-monthly, monthly, I don't know, visit. Jay? That summer league game that we just saw and we're not talking about was terrible. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't plan the episode around reacting to that game. <laughs> I would have been pretty disappointed to be on for that one. But that was well. Get to I, I said after the first summer league game, I said I'll probably do segments for the rest of the games. And someone said you should do a full show for the second game because the good guys are playing. And then they did, and they played well. And I was like, ah, maybe I should have. But this game is why I said segments <laughs> because I remember past summer leagues when I'm like talking about Simi Chateau for two minutes because that's who's left playing. Um, yeah, it was Jarris did good stuff. The two-way guys were fine, but um, Chet Holmgren is good. And the game was not very good. Instead, we're talking about the winners and losers from free agency. Who on the roster gained a lot from what the moves that were made? Who lost a lot, whether that's minutes, opportunity, whatever. And I made a rule for myself that I am not just going to say Bruce Brown because he made several million dollars. <laughs> I went with specific roster reasons for my decisions. Jay, would you like me to go good cop first or bad cop first? Let's go Let's go bad cop first. Okay, let's shake it up I'll go with the loser first. This is probably the more important and direct hits anyway. Uh, my first loser and probably my biggest loser on the Pacers roster from free agency is Jordan Wara. Jordan Wara did not enjoy the Pacers moves, I would say, if I was a guessing man. Um, had a good close to last season. Over, averaged over 13 points per game for the Pacers in his stint. Like, no doubt, met the expectations they had for him. They got him for free. Clearly proved to be a piece that is worth exploring. But drafting Jairus Walker, which was the right move, made a lot of sense for the Pacers. Trading for Obi Toppin, especially at that price, was the right move and made sense for the Pacers. And now, all of a sudden, Rick Carlisle said that there will be competition for the minutes, right, when asked about Obi. But it sure seems like the rotation will be Walker-Toppin. And so, if that is the case, either Wara's playing the three, and then I have a lot of other questions, or he's not really playing at all, and either one of those changes, especially after his last season, would, to me, constitute him as a big loser. Yeah, I've, he's on my list, first of all, so we're, we're in agreement so far here. Uh, he's 
I enjoyed watching him play at the end of the year. Like he had a lot of like scoring flash in ways that uh, the Pacers just didn't have from someone that size and at that position. And, you know, it was a fun little boost down the stretch to see him. And I think he, he I, there was a, there was a way this offseason unfolded where I think he ends up feeling really good about where he is this year yeah. with a chance at it. But I think also from the Pacers perspective, like he's also not a guy who you don't do something because you have him on the roster. Like you don't not draft Jarris Walker or acquire someone like a talent like Obi Toppin or make other moves like that just because you oh we have Jordan Wara like and that's not a slight to him it's just just kind of reality it's kind of the way it is when you're at that level in the NBA there's always going to be people coming in and I do think he has a chance still to like you know play like he's one injury away from the rotation probably because yeah. the the this, this stuff he brings to the table so I'm not like writing him off as like a talent or as an asset for the Pacers this season but like yeah he's definitely in a worse position now than he was before the offseason started yeah I you so you said the key thing to me in there with him as a loser and that's that he well, while he's good-ish and young he's not good enough or young enough that you're like making decisions based on his future and the other part of that is his contract expires after the season and he's an unrestricted free agent unlike Toppin who's restricted and unlike Walker who has several years of team control right so it's not even like you can guarantee team control for him for more than the next however many months and so even if if he's in their long-term plans maybe but they can't even extend him during the season because his contract was too short so he's guaranteed to be an unrestricted free agent next summer so yeah if, if he has a great year maybe they can bring him back but it sure seems like you know, he's going to be a guy who is probably like the first in line for minutes every time anyone's heard. And I will say for him specifically, it's not like he can't play the three. Like he can shoot. He's got perimeter skills on the offensive end. I think he moves around well enough on defense and he's got enough size. It's not like embarrassing if, if Jordan War is playing the three for you off the bench. So it, it like there's injuries to several positions that could lead to a snowball effect where he's still playing. And I think that matters. I think he's still an important depth piece for them. And he'll probably hit like, like assuming normal health, like 50, 55, 60 games played still. But in terms of having the consistent opportunity he had last year, where he played 24 games and started 11 times and was playing over half the game, 24.6 minutes. I don't think there's any way that can happen unless there's like significant injury very early to one of Toppin or Walker. Yeah, I think that would have to happen. And then he would have to come in and play really well from the really? start and kind of not give up the position. Um, I, I do think the other, the, they're, the positive frame, I think, is that you can tell the way the Pacers are building this team around Halliburton and transition and pace and like that. He does fit that style well. So like they're not moving away from that for him. So if he does have a chance to like be like a plug and play replacement off the bench for them, like he still fits. You can kind of see why they have still have him on the roster. For example, they didn't you know, right. move a brigade him. So like, yeah, it's it makes sense in that way for him. And I think if he does get to play, he'll fit well there. But it is tough when you're in that position in a contract year to not really have a set role like that's a tough spot. You had him on your losers list as well. Is it similar reasoning to that? Is there anything else you have for that? It was no. It was pretty much just because he just kind of got pushed down by players who were, you know, seemed to have a little more either potential upside or like investment in assets that the organization spent to acquire them, and that usually yeah. to me means that they're going to give those guys more of a shot up front. Uh, but that's generally it. This is kind of big braining this too, but like if you're an action speak louder than words kind of person. To get Jordan Wara, they gave up nothing. Like they got assets with him and they gave up stuff to get Toppin and they used significant draft capital on Walker. Like in terms of the investment to get the players that they would have at the four, Walk or Walker, Wara was the least invested in. That was a complicated way of explaining what I'm trying to say. But so just from an like 
what they've invested in and what they have more stake in. It feels like Toppin and Walker are ahead of him there. It's funny because after the draft, I called him a quasi-winner, quasi-loser. Loser because there's no way he starts anymore with Jarris Walker on the team. But if you think he can play the three, maybe he's a winner. But then they got Bruce Brown, and now <laughs> that yeah. has dried up as well. So uh, including the draft to uh, free agency was not kind to Jordan Wara. Give me something else. from eh, You know what? You're the good cop now. Give me something from your winner's list. Yeah, so my winner's list. Um, this is maybe a little conventional. I went with Miles Turner as a big winner. Actually. Also on my winner's list. Good, okay, good. Let's excellent. Go. Yeah, like this is the first season in forever, really, like where the Pacers haven't been like, you know, actively rumored to be shopping him um, in many ways. I'm sure that might come back at some point, but it's destined to probably. But like, I mean, la- they tried to replace him last year with DeAndre Ayton on a max offer sheet, which the Pacers never do as an organization. They were so reticent to do it that this year the offseason reporting has been maybe they don't want to do that anymore at all because they didn't like that experience. But like they viewed that as a potential upgrade. Um, and instead, he had an opportunity to play with Halliburton, had a great year as the unquestioned starter. They haven't brought anyone else in at his position. And I think, if anything, the players they brought in in Toppin and Walker actually fit really well alongside him like that seems like something they were really trying to focus on and be able to like balance the roster out that way and i kind of think that is like a really really good you know step for him plus he made a ton of money last year and probably feels really good about that still so if you were here for um some skip bayless style commentary you're not gonna get it because it's like you're it's literally like you're reading off my note sheet (laughs) um so i'll actually the uh, the the thing you said that that i want to talk about i haven't said on the show at all was I think it was Zach Lowe who said that offer sheet thing that you referred to. I just think that was fascinating. Like, yep. yeah, that, the, the thing that was funny about the Aiton thing for the Pacers, like they gave up Dwayne Washington and had to stretch three guys. And maybe they made some of their moves with cap in mind. But like in general, they didn't like concede a ton. Their moves were good. But I think the thing that was weird is the Suns matched or at least leaked their match like immediately, right? Like mm-hmm. four minutes. I don't know yeah. how fast they actually fill out the paperwork, but just it like, was like an <laughs> external PR perspective, it made them look dumb, even though they weren't dumb. Like they knew the chances they had to get them were the same either way, but the speed of it, it's just like, it's just weird. You know, it's just yeah. all weird. You got to make moves to maybe not even get the guy and it, it could make you look weird. People have all these questions about something that didn't even actually happen. Like it, Restricted free agency, I I think it's good. Like I have an unusual take on restricted free agency that I think it's good, even though the process itself totally sucks for the players. And I'm totally, I'm normally very pro players getting money, but that I feel like there still needs to be some sort of restricted free agency in some way. That was a tangent, unrelated. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We've all had a time when we felt uncertain about where we're going in life, and for me, that was late last year. With my job, just wasn't sure what the next direction was for me. And sometimes we're faced with tough choices and the path forward isn't always clear. So whether you're dealing with decisions around your career, relationships, or anything else, therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything. The more you practice it, the easier it gets. Therapy can be helpful for anyone to learn positive coping skills, set new boundaries, or empower you to be the best version of yourself. It's not just for those who've experienced major trauma. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash NBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash NBA. My big thing for Turner being a winner is that this style that he fits so well in 
they leaned into more of, right? So even if it is just up-tempo early offense, he's still going to be the five who's initiating those possessions and setting the only screens. And guess what? Jairus Walker and Obi Toppin will not prevent him from being a roll guy or a pop guy. He'll still be awesome on the defensive end. And then from a basketball perspective, adding a guy like Walker, who could potentially ease the burden for him on the defensive end, or Toppin, who could be an inside-out combo on the offensive end, I just think the basketball side, they paired guys well with him that are helpful. They didn't. He's not in trade rumors for the first time ever. That has to be so refreshing. Like he got to go to Italy and explore his fashion interests. And I forget where he went. Italy might be incorrect. He went somewhere in Europe to explore his fashion interests. Like he's not going to come to training camp. And the first thing that we ask him is like, "Hey, what'd you think of this rumor and that?" And it's just like he just can enjoy playing. Like every, I think everything to me points to him having a refreshing summer and the team is now better suited around him. It won't be real as reliant on him on defense. So yeah, you already said all these things, but I agree. And he was the first guy I typed and I was thinking of winners from their free agency. Yep. He's the top of my list too. Uh, he, he won't be going on a podcast hopefully in like November <laughs> talking about like, you know, which teams he's ready to be traded to. Like that's not probably going to happen. Um, it's like in and adding like a guy like Bruce Brown too, like on top of that, like on the exterior yeah, defense, yeah. like that, like cause Turner had, He's his defensive skill set is really impressive, but it's only going to let him do even more and emphasize that even more if he's not like the only line of defense, which I think happened to him a lot last year. He got pretty spread out and strong because he was the yep. only guy capable of saving so many possessions. And that's like if you can like prevent, I don't know, like it's just balancing out the defense, even just adding like one or two other defenders around him in the lineup that way. It opens him up to do so much more too that maybe is not as easily not as easy to see based on you know how we watched the entire Pacers team last year like and I think I'm, I'm just excited for him I'm glad he's in a good spot like he seems he seems happier like that's a weird thing for me to yeah. say as a fan from here but like just like you know his body language and demeanor like he's not the last few years have seen multiple storylines just constantly about that and I got it too because he you know he was kind of getting shopped actively all yep. the time and they tried to replace him last summer with DeAndre Aiden and that's you know I I'm and the way that worked out, like you're right, that that one more note on that, like it was, it was like four four minutes later, it was like Woj tweet, and then four minutes later, Woj tweet, they're matching, and then like the Pacers also didn't even dump all the poison pill type stuff they could have in that offer sheet, so it was yeah. kind of like a half hearted like attempt to like maybe get Aiden, but it also risked alienating Turner even more. I don't know, but it, it seems like however that went, it's worked out now for the Pacers, and I think definitely has worked out for Turner, and I think he's he's in a really good spot here. I'm you know I'm excited to watch him play this year. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that, and we'll see where this shakes out for him. But they weren't linked to any centers. They didn't draft any center. Well, I guess they added Oscar Sheway. It's not like that's going to really change things for Miles Turner. And, like, there's a credible lineup. This lineup might play, like, 10 minutes this season, and they'll suck on <laughs> offense. But there's a Nemhard, Bruce Brown, Neesmith, Walker, Turner lineup that's like, oh, this is five good defenders. And that is, like, all guys who could be in their rotation. And they couldn't even sniff that last year. So that's good for Turner. As well, I will pivot to my second winner. Allow me to be lazy, if you will, Jay. Uh, not for the money reasons. Obviously, when you make $260 million, you are a big winner. That is not why I put Tyrese Halberton on my list of winners, although obviously that makes him uh, the biggest winner, literally, of the Pacers. Um, so the fact that they leaned so much into his specific strengths, right? Rick made that very clear every time he was talking about Obi Toppin and Bruce Brown. Synergy says that they're – he didn't say Synergy. I think this is where it's from, though. That their effective field goal percentage in transition is top two in the league, and they'll both pair well with our really good transition guy. And we know that – he never said this part, but that they're very good at playing with random action, and those two guys can pair well with Halburn in that way. And 
Obi, like with a lob threat, is just a fantastic fit with a great passer. And Bruce Brown can handle the ball a tiny bit and do those guard guard screens and be this awesome point of attack defender and is awesome in transition. Like he's a winner because the stuff he's the best at, the Pacers will now be better at. And I think that's going to make the team better next year. Yeah, so he was also on my list. I was going to oh, actually God. say this, this I, is not good. This is not good is. for consumption. <laughs> no, it's if we're we're not embracing debate here at all, Tony. Like, uh, <laughs> but like, I was actually going to preface it as well if, if if I live with him by saying not for the money reasons too. Like, because that's yeah, that's great. Well, that's, that's easy because then fantastic. the winners are just like Bruce Brown and right. Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Yep, and so yeah, but no, but and it's similar reasons to what you said. Like, they clearly like he has been elevated into like superstar franchise partner status. Like he on uh, his appearance with Paul George, he mentioned that he was on, he, he was sat on an every draft prospect interview. And like, first of all, it's, it's awesome that he wants to do that. Like he's that into basketball and winning that he's like that committed to it. It's one of the reasons that I love Tyrese, but like seeing him, they are clearly building with around his strengths and around him. And like in ways that are like, quick and tangible like the Pacers basically saw what they had last year and have pivoted now to going for that and they're also you know that he wants to win too right like he wants to take the playoffs that's been his stated goal and the Pacers aren't like they're not like sacrificing future flexibility and burning future assets to like you know try to make some crazy leap up this year but they're making winning moves to do that like they're not like holding off and trying to like you know string out one more year like they clearly like they and like making him happy that way and showing that like they're committed to that and committed to him in all the ways that they have both on and off the court has like, it's, I don't know. You can't have a better off season if you're a player, I wouldn't think. Yeah. Uh, and the partnership part of it is fascinating just because like, I, I've been intrigued by how Tyrus, I've, I've thought about how if I were Tyrus Halliburton, I would feel right now, like knowing <laughs> that I got paid and now I want to make the playoffs, but also the team has six years to build around me. Like it, mm-hmm. it you know, if you're him, you probably want them to hit the accelerator for sure. And they did. They got Bruce Brown. But also, it's like, that's a long time, right? Like, do you really want to push too fast and give up too much stuff? Or you know, if you go for it too early, you don't have the right assets in the future. So I've thought about what it'd be like to be him. But I think they did a good job of towing both lines and keeping their, mm-hmm. their assets and their powder dry for future summers, too. Which is also why he's a winner, because he could be a part of a team that adds some major talent in the future that also potentially plays well with him. But... You know, look, he's the first guy ever to average 20 and 10 and shoot 40% from three. Like, that's super hard to do. And a guy who can score like that and shoot like that and pass like that, you build around him. You you put the situation around him to make the team as good as possible. And I think that the Pacers recognize that right away. And that says a lot about what how they feel about Halberton and how Halberton feels about what they need to do. And I think that leaning into his strengths was smart, and they did that. And I think he's going to look even better next year, both because his burden will be slightly smaller and because the guys he's passing to – are better and better fits with him specifically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like they, uh, it's I. Yeah, I don't know. You you know the Tony. Like we're on the exact same page there. Like it's he's he seems he seems really happy to be here too, which is uh and like vocally happy to be here. Like vocally recruiting people and like yeah. he saw that like you know his team was willing to spend on both him and other players and like I think like you know that also I think. He, getting his buy-in to the level that they've gotten it this year is like a really good sign, I think, for the Pacers, both short and long term. And for him, especially, like he gets to play the way he wants to play and seems to have a ton of freedom and is only getting like, you know, more reassurance from the team that that's what they want too. And I think he's, you know, it's I think it's a good mutual relationship, I think. 
Your turn to be mean, Jay. Give me a loser. All right. So uh, the first loser I wrote down was Jalen Smith. Um, okay. Okay. Good. Good. This is good. It's yeah. Is you not on? Not a, okay. Kind of. All right. That's kind fine. of. I uh, cheated. Yeah. So Jalen Smith last year was uh, he took a deal to stay with the Pacers and was named the starting power forward. Um, <laughs> that went so well that the Pacers. Uh, didn't do that the whole season and then spent the whole offseason acquiring other forwards to maybe start at the four either now or long term. Um, Jalen Smith also now competed last year with Isaiah Jackson for backup five minutes uh, behind Miles Turner. And that is a tough spot to be in. Uh, like I know that Turner has, you know, he doesn't play every game, but he plays a lot of games and when he's healthy. And I also feel like the way the Pacers have adjusted their like building for like an up-tempo transition based, like, you know, fun running shot blocking five system. Like that fits Isaiah Jackson to me more than it fits Jalen Smith. And I know both of them are like imperfect players still at this point. Uh, but the front office also spent a first round pick on Isaiah Jackson two years ago. They just got rid of the other first round pick they made that year. I believe unless I'm confusing my years, but like it's, it, they seem it, to me, that is tough for Jalen. Like it's it it kind of seems like that experiment and one of the reasons they wanted to bring him back last year didn't really work out. And I think he's gonna get more chances to play and more chances to, you know, show that he can hit outside shots and he can maybe space the floor a little and do some different things in this setup. But like I just think it's tough, like when Turner's still on the team and entrenched for another couple of years and you know, he's competing with a first round pick and they're bringing out other players to start at the position that he was promised last year. That's that's just a tough sequence of events. One more break here, guys, so I can talk to you about Bird Dogs, making the best shorts and pants out there. And Bird Dogs make you look good. They have their stretch khaki shorts that are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Their shorts do the same thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better. I have two pairs of the 8-inch inseam shorts, 7-inch, 7-inch, and they are fantastic. They fit way better than my regular shorts that are more stiff, and they have the restricting cotton. Bird Dogs instead fix that with a cloud-knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches, so you get a slimmer fit and don't have to sacrifice any movement. They use anti-sink, stink, sweat, wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. I warm around New York City for two days. Felt great all day. Didn't sweat it up. I would show you them right now, but they're with my laundry, so I can't. But you got to try them yourself, and you'll get a Bird Dogs tumbler if you do so. Go to birddogs.com slash LockdownNBA. Enter the promo code LockdownNBA, and you get a free Yeti-style tumbler. That's birddogs.com slash LockdownNBA, or the promo code LockdownNBA, all would word at checkout for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. I can promise you that. So I, I cheated a little bit, and by a little bit, I mean a lot of bit. My my loser category that would contain Jalen Smith just says any backup center. Uh, all of the backup centers is actually the exact phrasing that I typed. And I put all of them because they're all still on the team. And like only one of them is going to play every game, presumably. Um, so Tice, I would include in this and Jackson, I would include in this. Like the end of the end of last season when they were going back and forth with Smith and Jackson, like that's hard. That's not the best for development. And like Tice is good enough that he probably thinks he should play and like he'll look good for Germany again this summer, and I'll go, huh? Maybe he should. And so, especially if they're trying to win now, which they've said they are. So, you, you, one of them can't play every game. Likely, two of them can't play every game. And the old solution to that was what you just said. Let's tell Jalen Smith he can start. Let's talk at the draft about how we think Isaiah Jackson can play the four. Well, that's not happening anymore because they have fours now. They've not too many. That's dumb to say, but they have lots of fours now, right? So, like 
that can't happen. So they're they're one positional players for the Pacers, and they have four of them. And the best one is very obvious. So the second best one is going to be split up between three guys who all can make their own case for playing time uh, for Smith. It's that they resigned him and gave him this player option and promised him a starting spot because they went in the back so bad. And for Jackson, it's that they drafted him. And for Tyson, it's that he's the best of those three guys at this present moment. I think some people could push back on that. I think he's the best of those guys. So they all kind of lose because they're the and. You know, especially because in theory, Smith has a player option, but he could be a free agent next year. Jackson's getting close to the end of his deal. Tice could be a free agent next year. Like they need to show that they're good if they're going to be free agents soon, too. So their situations did not get any better. Uh, this may be something that will clear up. We're doing this less than two weeks into free agency and like the thing happened more than two weeks in last year. Donovan Mitchell got traded in September last year, for Christ's sake. Like a lot could change. But as of right now, I would say all of the backup centers, and especially whoever the Pacers feel like they want to invest more in of Jackson and Smith. And if you, like you just said, think it's Jackson, then Smith is the much bigger loser, certainly. Yep. And that is where I landed on it. Uh, like, I think I think Isaiah Jackson fits the up-tempo, push-the-pace, you know, lob threat in Fortnite. It's, he still does he, you know, so much work to do, obviously, for him as a player. Um, but, like, to me, and just having watched he and Smith play, and the fact that, like, they clearly don't view Isaiah Jackson as a potential four anymore. Like, he didn't play last no. year at the four. <laughs> no. So, like, if, if they – and so I, I don't know if that's, like uh, – so I think – at this point, I think it's clear that it's it's just a straight up five thing, and I don't really know how that shakes out. But just to me and how like I see it, like I feel like factoring everything in, I feel like Jalen Smith is kind of in a tough spot here. But yeah, well, I mean that could be just like a trade deadline something, or I don't I don't know how they figure that out if they all even are on the team when the season starts. We'll see. But as of right now, I'd consider all of them losers in terms yep. of how this shakes out, and maybe after the big stars do or don't get traded there's more opportunity for five somewhere else or something who knows but as of right now i'd call them losers i will do my last loser so we can close out the show on happy fun winners uh, my last loser is actually two players but it's because one of them is going to be the odd man now and i don't know who yet and i put mcconnell or neesmith here's why uh and i think you can make a case for either one so all of these players are for sure going to be in the rotation next year to me. I mean, I would be stunned if one of these guys was not playing. Halliburton, Nemhard, Matherin, uh, Bruce Brown, Buddy Heald, right? So that is five guys taking up your two, three spots. And Halliburton's going to play a lot <laughs> at the one. And so if you've got Matherin and Brown as your two, three starting, then Heald's your guy off the bench. And if Nemhard's your other backup on the wing, then where's Aaron Neesmith's minutes? How he's going to get on the floor? And if you want to play Nemhard and Neesmith, then Nemhard goes to backup one and Neesmith can play the backup three spot, but then TJ McConnell's not playing. And so I think right now, given how I think those guys should or shouldn't be playing rotationally, one of those two guys is just the odd man out and would be uh, likely the first sub in many situations uh, with them or Wara. But that's the thing. Similar thoughts there. Um, either one of them could be the first sub in theory. So I don't know which way they would lean on that, you know, they both are solid players who had good seasons last year, and Rick Carlisle likes both of them. So I don't know how they would lean on that, but uh, my gut kind of thinks Neesmith right now would be the odd guy out, and they would go with Nembard off ball for now. But I, I don't know why my gut thinks that. Like Nembard just played very well playing point guard in summer league, so good that they're already done with that. So I just I don't know how to feel about it. Jake Fisher just reported on T.J. McConnell being linked to the Phoenix Suns. I'll talk about that on a show tomorrow, but. 
Um, I don't know which one of them it is, but one of them is going to be a loser because there's just not minutes for both of them right now. Yeah, so Neesmith was my last loser. Okay. Uh, so uh, that tells you where I land on it. It's a similar thing, though. I think for me, it's a lot of the reasons you said. It's also the fact that uh, he's he's up after this year. Is he not? Is this? Yes, he is. Yes, yes he is. and so like that's... Extension eligible right this he second. Is. I don't think mm-hmm. that's happening. <laughs> no, probably not. Uh, so... I, I, I he was fun to watch last year, and he brought a lot of yeah, things that the Pacers didn't have. Uh, the problem is that they also signed Bruce Brown, who does a lot of things that Aaron Neesmith sort of did or might be able to do, and yeah. he's now the highest paid player on the team. And I think so. To me, like looking at that, I agree with you on that balance. I, for me, like when I considered the roster and how it breaks down, like I think it makes a little more sense to me to have Nemhard off ball as like a secondary ball handler with McConnell versus having Nemhard like slotted in as like the solo backup one and then having Neesmith out there. Like do when I just think about how those groups have played together and how they want to run and play this year and everything that like TJ McConnell had a really good year last year. Really good. Like yeah. it was he was a very good I could see why you know the Suns and teams like that might be wanting to add him. I actually think he would be a asset to a lot of contending teams, both because of how he is off the court and the what he does. Uh, he would be per- he would be perfect on Phoenix. Yes, absolutely. He would be fantastic there. Like I, like I love TJ. Like if if he like if he told the Pacers like, hey, you know, I'm good going to Phoenix. Like they're a really good team. Like if you like whatever. Like I would you know I'm not going to begrudge him wanting to do that if that's how it breaks down. But like it's yeah. And so for me, like like McConnell's also more established. Uh, he is and. It's yeah, it's tough. It is tough though. Those were the two guys that I was like kind of locked into as my last like thing. And I just think with the way that they've added wings and the way that like they value Nemhard and how he played last year. And you know, Neesmith got a lot of his run last year as the four. And he's not yeah. gonna have that as an option anymore. And so like it's like and I think that that is telling to me. And so like, I, I think he still has a role if he, if he's on the team, like I think he's still going to get to play. Um, I think basically with his skill set and versatility, like if say he's like the ninth man, even like as if any, anyone but Turner in the top and ahead of him gets hurt, he's coming in. Like he's, he's yeah. able to play any of those roles. So like, that's a good spot for him. But yeah, I think just based on how everything shook out, I think that is, that is a tough thing for him to deal with. I don't know. Which, I, I don't know why my gut is leaning the way it is, but the other thing too if they don't do anything else, right, let's just pretend this is their 15-man roster. McConnell has now re- all of the veteran duties, right? Like Hill yes. and Johnson are gone. And so yep. he becomes even more integral in that way. And this is this is like a lazy thing to say. I'll admit that before I say it. But, like, it's easier to lead when you're playing, right? Like, it just mm-hmm. is. So I think that is a factor here as well. So it's just, just a gut thing. But I do think that there is potential for some shakeup. And and the, th- the, other, the last thing I'll say, because we had the exact same losers, is if you think about what the Pacers could still do this offseason from a trade perspective, look no further than the names we just said because they're going to be the guys who make the most sense for them to clear up log jams, right? So those would be the names that I would look the hardest at if you're external looking at the Pacers. Smile! Winner's time! Close us out. I have a I have a backup plan if you have the same answer as me. So give me your final winner of the uh, Pacers. Speech. Well, uh my actual final winner was Isaiah Jackson for the reasons I laid out earlier. As wow. to why I feel like okay. I feel like Did he not even sniff my yeah, best. I love it. Yeah. So okay. like I agree with you about the playing the playing time log jam, but I think based on who they're looking at as backup five candidates, I and based on the draft capital they invested in him, based on the run he got in summer league, they sent him out there to play. And I know he fouled like crazy and has a lot of things to work on. Uh but 
I just think with the way that they've added players like like Toppin and like Walker, who I think actually also fit alongside Isaiah in the same way that like they fit alongside Turner in some ways. Like I think freeing him up to kind of be like a more of like a switching big who can reject shots at the rim out of nowhere with that athleticism and also run the floor and finish lobs and do all that high energy stuff. Like I could see that as more of like a disruptive like backup five to me than I see what Jalen Smith does, which is good. And like I agree that Tice is probably like like in terms of like basketball IQ and like how he plays the game and his veteran knowledge and like he's just this really solid veteran player. But like I also think it, they also you know he was kind of just like a throw in in the Brogdon trade. Like they didn't spend a first he round was pick salary on Tice. 100%. Yeah, exactly. Like he they didn't spend a first round pick on Jalen Smith. Like they took a flyer on him because they needed right. talent and it was worth doing. They didn't have anyone else. And that was team, also so. a salary dump trade. Exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> and so like I just think. That stuff matters to me. I think when you're when you're doing it, and I yeah. think it's it's not the be all end all. Like, but I think it's a good tiebreaker. I think if you're trying to forecast who's going to get the shots, and I just think that for me, like I can just envision Isaiah Jackson. To, it's they still have to develop some guys, right? They're not winning the championship yet. They're not a contending team yet. Like they're still going to be developmentally focused in some ways. And I think if you're picking one of the recent draft picks, like you know exclude Mather and Nemhard, Walker and Shepard and those guys. Like, but before that, like Isaiah is kind of like the only one like left really that this, like, you know, so I think that that is worth, worth noting. And I just think the way that his, his upside and how, like if he develops into what he could be fits really well with Tyrese Halliburton and with what they're doing going forward. And I think that is why, like they didn't bring in, they didn't get rid of him. First of all, that's a win for him. And this, I think this is a good spot for him. And I think the fact that they still seem to have some faith in him that way, I think that's a good thing for him too. So that's why he made my list. Playoff bigs had to be really skilled, right? And so if Jalen Smith can shoot again, that would be huge for him being the guy. And I have long been of the opinion that Isaiah Jackson would be my pick for the backup five is the Pacers. I always grapple with this in my head though, where it's just like, do I really think he's better? Or is it just like, Ooh, athletic guy jump high. How cool. Yep. But like, I, I always get back to the defensive part where, yeah, he fouls way too much, way too much. I know he works on it all the time. I can see it happen. I've heard it happen in many settings, but it hasn't been cleaned up yet. And that is certainly problematic for him. But like, there's more of a tunnel or a tunnel. I don't know why I said tunnel. There's more of a path for me to see like him having five minutes of Robert Williams like role at his best. This is not now. This would be sure. way in the future. Um, a Robert Williams like role than there is for me to see Jalen Smith be a like that kind of guy, not a Robert Williams type guy, but like the best version of Jalen yeah. Smith's role, unless he's making the threes and he's really good on the glass and that matters and his defense approved last year and that matters, but he doesn't have as many of the skilly stuff that would, could matter in the postseason. So that's why I land Isaiah Jackson, but Jalen Smith certainly like the the when they got him the rest of that year. He certainly was the answer. Like hundred percent, he was the answer. So honestly, maybe they like start the season with five games of each and see who it is and figure. I have no idea. I would lean Jackson like you, but I I always struggle to figure out why I'm leaning that way because yeah. sometimes it's just jump high play defense. But okay, yeah. if he's your choice, though, as the backup five is the Pacers, then he's definitely a winner because he's the backup five. Yeah, and I could be very wrong. I could be misreading all of this and be very wrong. And he was my last pick. It was the hardest. Like, he was the last one I came down to. Like, he was the last winner I chose. But I just think, based on, like, how I think it shook out and, like, what I see, like, the vision maybe being, I think they're going to give him a chance to see if he can develop some of those skills beyond his ridiculous athleticism uh, to maybe make that work. And I'm not saying it will. I don't know. But I think that it's, like, 
I, I think he still came out ahead in this way. So my third answer was Obi Toppin. Um, and this is kind of like picking the guys for getting paid. It's dumb. And he didn't <laughs> get paid, though, so I felt a little better about it. It's like he went from a situation where he couldn't play at all or couldn't get on the floor that much and was playing in the front court with like centers who can shoot like Taj Gibson, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson to the Pacers where he's going to play. He fits much better, and he's playing next to centers who won't be around the rim. And so theoretically, all of those things should make him a little better. And I keep coming back to this thing. I keep saying it, and I got to give all the credit to Tom Lewis for getting this in my head because I just it never clicked for me. Like even looking at his minutes per game last year is misleading because it was like a lot of spikes of really high minutes and then a ton of valleys of super low minutes. So it wasn't like he ever was like – he had a stretch of the season where he was kind of consistently around his minutes load like November, December-ish. But th- with the Pacers, he, he would consistently be getting, presumably, about 20-whatever, 20, 20, 25 minutes a game. And so the consistency, the fit, the uh, situation with the other bigs on the team, it's just all great for him. And so I think he's a big winner, obviously. Um, and getting out of a situation that just wasn't working for him, of course, a fresh start could be good. Heading into free agency for him. And he's in a contract year where he kind of has to prove it if he wants to get like literally any contract next year right now. So um, that could be super motivating. So he was one of my two winners that I put. My flex winner, if you said Obi Toppin, was going to be Kendall Brown. That's super random. He's not even on the team. <laughs> Why did I pick Kendall Brown? Because they picked a draft and stash guy at 47 who's not getting a two-way. They still have an open two-way, and he's had a good summer league. So I, I think he's got a very good inside track on the third two-way spot. And had they done different things with their draft picks, uh, that may not have been the case. Or if he himself didn't play one summer league, that might not have been the case. So obviously picking a two-way player as a winner is not like the most fun thing to discuss. But uh, Toppin and Brown were my two in case you picked Toppin for this one. Because we had to have one difference. But you went with Isaiah Jackson, so that helped. Yeah, I'm glad we, I'm glad we had the one. Uh, like it's, <laughs> Five out of six is still good. It's <laughs> a pretty good percentage. Um, yeah, Toppin, clearly, it's – I can't imagine – many worse coaching fits for a player like that than Tibbs. That's also like, true. And that's yeah, not Tibbs, to say Tibbs is a bad no, coach, but I, his yeah, situation. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. You stole my next line there, Tony. Thank you. Damn Again, it. we're on All the right. same page. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. Tibbs is, is a good coach. It's just stylistically. He, the way he approaches things is a lot different than what Obi Toppin does strength wise. And so it's yeah. just not a, not a great pairing. And it, that was evidenced by the fact that they drafted him in the top 10 and never played him. So, and despite him having flashes and like, I could see why that just wasn't going to work. Like, I think the change of scenery thing is overused in sports in general. Like I think it, it's sometimes, but sometimes I think it is, it is a real thing and it's not just like, Oh, he just needed a fresh start. It's like, Oh, he's going somewhere with concrete reasons why it's a better fit. And like, he is definitely landed in a spot where like, even like, I know they, even, even if he doesn't start over Jarris Walker, like he still does things and brings things to the table that other players on the roster can't at this point. And like, it's, he's, he's in a place where a team wanted him. Like they sent out, it's just two seconds, but they still wanted to bring him in. They wanted to give him a shot and they wanted to pair him with a guy like Halliburton who presumably also really approved of his addition. So he's going somewhere with somebody who wanted there, wanted him there, wanted him with the ball. And that's a big deal. And so that's absolutely, I think a good change for him, even if it's just a one year thing. And he, you know, he has some flashes and balls out and gets a second contract somewhere because of that. That's still a really good change for him. Like he wasn't going to get that opportunity with the Knicks. I don't think. And so if he's anywhere, that's a win. And because it's somewhere like the Pacers, which is 
a real potential win based on the, the, the fit and surroundings, that's a great spot for him. Um, go ahead. I was just gonna say, and then Kendall Brown, like on the on the yeah. on the two ways, like they have one point guard and one big, and so he slots right in there too. Like it's not like he's competing with another two way for like wing forward minutes too. In that scenario, he's kind of like the break yeah. glass in case of yep. emergency wing forward. That's a good spot too. Yeah, that even consider that part. That is good for him. Uh, yeah, I, to get the specifics on the top and thing I just mentioned. So the first 24 games of the season, he played 13 minutes or more in all of them but one. And in the one, he played 12.58. So, like, he kind of played 13. Then he played 7.30. Then he missed the next 13 games with an injury. And then when he returned from injury, the next 24 games, he only played more than 12 minutes five times. Five, or 13 minutes five times, right? So his role just went totally away, and you can see that reflected in his numbers and the inconsistency. And then down the stretch, he gets a little more of a bump because they got their seating locked up. But mostly even between those, I just picked 24 because that's the start of his season number. But there was even more of a stretch where he didn't get over 13 minutes until March 27th, right? So like his role just totally deteriorated as the season went on last year. And so his minutes per game is misleading because then in the last six or so games of the season, he plays 33, 42, 27, 36. So it's a little all over the map. And he did start the season with the role and it went away. So I think more consistency will help there. Good. We had one different answer, even though you agreed with me on my answer. Yeah. It was was a real contention. This is bad TV, guys. You got to come from both sides. You have to discuss both sides of the fence. I say hooey on that one. A real contentious episode here, Tony. I know. I don't know if we're still friends after this. It's going to be tough after all this arguing, but I'll see what I can do. <laughs> the art of the take, baby. We were on it <laughs> in this one. And the and and the funny part is now that we're thirty eight minutes in, the answer could change. They could make more moves, and all of a sudden we're like those idiots. Yep, um, so absolutely. we'll see if they have anything else to do tomorrow. We will talk about one of those reported things that TJ McConnell Phoenix thing I already said. We'll talk about their third summer league game. Uh, There were some fun things, despite the way we talked about it earlier. Jairus Walker came alive in the fourth quarter. Isaiah Wong looked his best game yet. Um, Oscar Shibwe grabbed every miss off the rim, I think, in the whole game. So we'll talk about all that stuff and new NBA rules. I got to give thoughts to all the new NBA stuff. I like the midseason tournament and I like one of the two new rules. Jay, thank you for the long time. Apologies. Where can people follow you and everything you have to say covering the world of sports. Yeah. So uh, on Twitter for now, as long as that exists at J Regan five, <laughs> that's every social network anywhere I would be on. That's what I'm at. Um, I do some still writing as uh, awful announcing on sports and sports media. And I also uh, edit the fried egg newsletter. If you any golf fans are out there as well, subscribe to that. Golf is so interesting right now and not for golf reasons. I, I, I can't look away from all that stuff. It's so so it, it's in Congress right now, isn't it? Like, yep. They, no, uh, I don't know if anyone like, actually cares yeah. about this, but no, it's the end of the episode. Yeah. Senate subcommittee <laughs> hearing this week. It was a giant fiasco. Uh, yeah. We, you can bring, when this comes to the NBA, eventually you can bring me back on for my golf expertise to talk about <laughs> You'll be that, ready. So. You'll have seen the court, the case go to the, the white house and yep. you'll be ready. I'll have all the context. Yeah. You'll have all the context covered. That actually might be a thing that is coming oh. sooner to the NBA yeah. than most people realize. Uh, yes. Tomorrow's show is said next week. Recap in Summer League, general offseason topics before we head off into the sunset at the end of this month and into August, talking about the Pacers offseason. Thank you all the time for listening. We'll see you soon.